Hello and welcome to 2018. You're listening to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. Hope you enjoyed the Christmas holiday. There hasn't been a huge amount of news coming out about Timeless over Christmas and New Year. There were some happy Christmas messages from the cast on Twitter. TV Guide are reporting that there will be an announcement very soon on the Season 2 premiere date. That came from Sean Ryan, according to the report. So, fingers crossed, we might hear something soon. Filming is completed on Episodes 1, 3 and 4 of Season 2. Episode 2 is being filmed out of sequence, but filming on that one has started as well now. The UK DVD set of Season 1 has been released now. Unlike the US release, you also get digital downloads with the UK set. So that's well worth considering. The extras are the same, as far as I can tell. I haven't actually seen the UK set yet. Um, So there's just a small number of deleted scenes and a gag reel as extras. It does have a German audio track and Dutch subtitles, I believe which weren't on the US discs, but they seem to have dropped the Japanese audio and subtitles. Alright, so that's enough preamble. This week I'm talking about episode 5 of season 1, The Alamo. This is a solid episode. I must admit I didn't know a huge amount about the historical events of The Alamo, so I was interested from that point of view. With a new show, uh, you're never quite sure how willing they might be to shake things up potentially write characters out and bring in new characters and a lot of the tension in the script for me when I first saw this episode came from not knowing quite where the show was going and what they might be prepared to do I'll get into the specifics of all that as we go so let's have a look at the episode then season one episode five the Alamo The episode starts with Colonel Travis writing and dispatching his famous victory or death letter, calling for reinforcements at the Alamo, as the opposing forces, uh, General Santa Ana's forces, are growing outside the fort, uh, getting reinforcements every day. Caption comes up March 5th, 1836. Travis writes his letter, hands it to the young boy who's going to ride out from the fort to deliver it. Travis climbs up to the upper reaches of the fort and looks out at Santa Ana's forces massing in the distance. Then we cut back to the present day. Rufus challenges Connor about what happened to him at the end of the previous episode when people from Rittenhouse stopped his car and threatened him. Rufus accuses Connor of ordering this, but Connor says he would never do that. He's sorry that they approached Rufus directly, Connor says. They shouldn't have done that. But now Rufus must understand what they are capable of, and he must cooperate. And Connor says that they both have to cooperate with Rittenhouse. Rufus is obviously very much on edge because of what's happened to him. And very much less trusting of Connor now. Next we see Wyatt, who is called in to speak to Agent Christopher, 
and her boss, who we haven't seen before, Deputy Director Patrick Ramsey at the NCTC, which is the uh, National Counterterrorism Centre. They inform Wyatt that he is being replaced. His mission was to kill Garcia Flynn, and he hasn't done that. Wyatt accepts what they're saying and offers to brief his replacement. They tell him who his replacement will be, and Wyatt knows the man. He says that they served together previously and that he's a good man. But their conversation is interrupted by a sudden commotion among the technicians on the floor below them and Gia informs them that Flynn's time machine has gone to March 2nd, 1836, three days before that first scene that we saw with Colonel Travis's letter being dispatched. So Wyatt is told that he will be taking one more trip in the time machine because his replacement hasn't arrived yet. Uh, we cut to Lucy Preston. She gets the call telling her that she's needed at Mason Industries. Lucy, of course, is living with her mother. Um, her mother says she can't understand why Lucy needs to go out late at night, why she's neglecting her relationship with her fiancé and her teaching job. Lucy's impatient with all of this. She says that she's signed a non-disclosure agreement with Mason Industries and she can't talk about the work that she's doing there. Her mother persists in trying to pry information from her but Lucy won't reveal anything more. And Lucy challenges her mother again over wanting to know the identity of her father, which her mother is still unwilling to discuss. Quick cut again to Mason Industries. Rufus, Wyatt and Lucy are getting into the lifeboat time machine. Wyatt tells the other two that he's been fired and this will be his last mission. Rufus wonders how he could get fired. <laughs> Clearly that sounds like a good idea to him, particularly given that they're on their way to the Alamo, where everybody gets killed, according to history as we know it. White has brought some grenades with him and says that if he gets one more chance to kill Flynn, he intends to take it. Uh, Lucy doesn't say a lot, but she looks very troubled by the news that White is being replaced. So... The first four scenes in this episode are all short, but they have a terrific weight to them, and they're very effective at establishing the stakes for Colonel Travis at the Alamo, and then for each of Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy. In terms of the overall arc of Timeless as a show, I think the story has a real sense of momentum now for the lead characters. They're each in a bad place, one way or another. And I think in this episode, more than any of the others so far, there's a real sense of uncertainty about what might happen next. So we cut to General Santa Ana. Garcia Flynn is brought before him. Flynn offers gold and claims to have been sent by the Spanish Queen, Isabella II, to assist the general in crushing the rebellion. I think I just slipped into a Peter Cushing voice there to say crushing the rebellion. Did it better the first time, I think. Anyway, Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy arrive in 1836. When they speculate on what Flynn might be after, they intend to go into the Alamo fort. Lucy says they should be welcomed by Colonel Travis there, as he needs all the help he can get. 
This is four days before everyone at the Alamo is going to be killed. She mentions two famous figures who should be there, including Jim Bowie, who the knife is named after, and Davy Crockett. The credits are rolling at this point in the episode. Uh, it's written by Anne Cofell Saunders, who also writes episode 13 later in the series. She's also a producer on Timeless, and she's previously written for shows like Battlestar Galactica, Smallville and Revolution. The director is John Teleski, who also directs episode 9, and he's previously worked on shows like Revenge, The Blacklist and Castle. I think they both do a really good job here. You can argue that the set they've built for the Alamo is smaller than it should be, but that's forgivable on a TV budget, and I think they've worked really hard to make it feel authentic with the richness of the set design and the details in the script and the action scenes later in the episode. Lucy and Wyatt introduce themselves to Colonel Bowie. Lucy tries to take the lead in spinning a story about where they've come from and why they're there, but she's struggling to keep the story straight, and an impatient Wyatt says, look, we're here to find a man named Flynn who may have infiltrated the fort. Bowie says he hasn't seen anyone matching Flynn's description, but he will ask around. Rufus and Lucy notice Davy Crockett spinning a yarn about how he wrestled a bear, one-handed. They're immediately starstruck, but Wyatt reminds them that they're not tourists and they need to find Flynn. While Wyatt is searching, he sees a sort of hallucination of modern-day soldiers. This isn't immediately explained. Uh, Lucy interrupts him. Um, he kind of snaps back to the reality of what's around him, and Wyatt and Lucy continue searching. But Flynn has already found his way to Colonel Travis. He says that he admires Travis as a revolutionary figure trying to oppose a determined enemy, I guess. Uh, Flynn clearly sees himself in the same way, uh, but that doesn't stop him from shooting Travis dead. Wyatt hears the shot, but he's too late to save Travis or to catch Flynn, who escapes the scene. Lucy sees the unfinished victory or death letter and realises that this is what Flynn wanted to change. Without the letter, the uprising against Santa Anna that followed the Alamo might not occur, and the state of Texas might never exist. And this is a big change to history that they're facing. Santa Ana has raised the red flag, which means that no prisoners will be taken. Everyone will be killed, including the women and children. And Wyatt realises that Flynn has not only achieved what he set out to do, but also stranded him, Lucy and Rufus at the Alamo, facing certain death. Uh, but despite the bleakness of their situation, he tells Rufus he must find a way out for the women and children. And he tells Lucy that she will have to write Travis's unfinished letter. 
Uh, Wyatt tries to persuade Bowie that getting the women and children out needs to be the top priority. But Bowie refuses to listen to him at this point. And he warns him not to spread this kind of defeatist talk among his men. Wyatt, of course, knows what's going to happen at the Alamo, but Bowie isn't facing up to that yet. We cut to Flynn and General Santa Anna. Uh, Flynn confronts Santa Anna about raising the red flag. Flynn seems genuinely shocked that Santa Anna is willing to kill the women and children. Uh, given Flynn's willingness to create massive changes in American history, which would have untold consequences and probably a great many deaths, his moral stance here is a bit unexpected, I suppose. Um, it shows a side to his character that we haven't really seen before, but it doesn't in any way excuse the things that he's doing. Rufus learns from Crockett that there is an aqueduct running from the fort to the river. Uh, Santa Anna has blocked the aqueduct to cut off their water supply. But Rufus thinks this could be a way to get the women and children out. But the only way to gain access would be to get through three feet of stone under the chapel at the fort, which on the face of it is completely impossible. Lucy is struggling to rewrite Travis's letter, struggling mainly because she can't remember the details of it. Wyatt tells her that she doesn't have to write the exact same letter. She just needs to write something from the heart that will have a similar meaning. He's frustrated that there are all these distractions from what he sees as their main purpose, which was to stop Flynn. Uh, their conversation is interrupted by the sounds of explosions outside. The fort is being bombarded with cannon fire, I guess. Um, the boy we saw taking the letter from Travis in the first scene of the episode is buried under falling rubble from one of these explosions. Um, Wyatt digs him out, but for a few seconds he has another of these hallucinations where he is digging another modern-day soldier out of the rubble. Again, he snaps out of it after a moment um, and brings the boy to safety. Rufus is trying to break through that stone floor of the chapel with a pickaxe. He's making a little progress, but nowhere near enough. He has another conversation with Davy Crockett, who admits that he never really wrestled a bear one-handed. It was just a story he told. The truth was, he just managed to fire a lucky shot and fell into a creek and was amazed to discover he'd killed the bear. He says that he tells that version of the story because sometimes people need a leader who can wrestle a bear. Rufus is amused and he returns to his task um, to try and get through this stone floor. Uh, Bowie seeks out Wyatt now and admits that Wyatt was right, that reinforcements aren't going to come in time and the fort is going to be overrun. Wyatt outlines a strategy to buy a little time for Rufus, hoping against hope that somehow he can succeed in what he's been asked to do. 
Bowie listens to Wyatt and realises that Wyatt has been in a similar situation before uh, and he questions Wyatt about that. Wyatt admits it's true uh, that there was a mission where he and his men were pinned down and hopelessly outmatched and that he, Wyatt, was the only one who made it out. One of them had to get an important piece of intelligence out and he, through the flip of a coin, was given the task. So he had to leave his men behind and he never saw what happened to them. He says that he left them to die and he was given a medal for it. So we get a sense now of what these hallucinations are that Wyatt is having. They're flashbacks to the trauma of this earlier conflict that he was in. Bowie goes off to put Wyatt's plan into action. Wyatt turns around and realises that Lucy was sitting behind him the whole time and heard the whole story. She looks very saddened at first about what she's heard, but then she seems to be spurred into action and she goes back to writing the letter to replace Travis's letter. And this time she succeeds in writing something and she signs it from the men and women of the Alamo. Rufus has a habit of struggling to solve a problem for a while and then realising that there is an obvious answer to it. Uh, we know that Wyatt brought grenades with him on this mission. So Rufus has the means to blow through the stone floor of the chapel. So he puts all the grenades into the small hole that he has managed to create and detonates the grenades to blow the hole in the floor that he needs. So having succeeded in doing that, uh, they start to evacuate the women and children this is happening just as Santa Anna's forces begin their attack. Wyatt is among those defending the Alamo, using a period rifle to begin with, but as the fighting gets more intense, he uses his own automatic weapon to defend himself. Lucy finds him and tells him of Rufus's success and that they now have a way out. There are bullets being fired all around them. Wyatt is still struggling with his past where he had to leave men behind and he tells her that he can't do the same again. He'll buy her the time she needs to get out but he's not going with her. Now the first time I saw this episode I really thought they might be planning to write Wyatt out of the series here. You never know with a new show whether they might decide to write a character out and bring in somebody new. It's not unheard of, and if the producers felt that they hadn't quite got the show that they wanted, it would be entirely possible that they might kill someone off. And the script is totally structured along the lines to make you think that this is the end of the line for Wyatt. And in that respect, I think it's a brilliant script. Wyatt and everyone around him is pushed to the absolute limit and I remember feeling a sense of relief when it teeters on that edge and then pulls back from it. Lucy tells him she doesn't want anyone else in his place. 
that she needs him and Rufus needs him and he's the one she trusts. She talks him around and he agrees to go with her and they retreat back to the chapel. It's a big moment in the story. Um, I think quite a few fans of the show maybe like to fixate on the fact that Lucy says, I need you to Wyatt here. How much can we read into that? Hmm. I know that a lot of the fans of the show really want to see a romance between Wyatt and Lucy. And there's fan fiction out there for that, of course. But I really feel that their friendship is something quite special. Um, I think it's a lot more complex than the way a lot of romantic relationships are portrayed in TV dramas, particularly in genre shows. So I really hope that there isn't a sudden shift in their relationship in future episodes towards a romance. I think what we're getting now is much more interesting. Anyway, the chaos of the fighting continues. Uh, Lucy suddenly realises that the boy Wyatt saved from under the rubble earlier is John Smith, Travis's messenger, and she gives him the letter that she's written. And Wyatt persuades him that he must deliver the letter. And so he escapes along with the other women and children. And then Rufus and Lucy follow on. In a nice touch, Bowie gives Wyatt his knife because he says he wouldn't want the invading forces to have it. Bowie says he can't leave his people and Wyatt says he can't leave his either meaning Rufus and Lucy. And there is an acceptance between them that Wyatt has to leave. In real life, there are some differing reports about whether a small number of soldiers at the Alamo were able to surrender, including Davy Crockett. Um, but they were subsequently executed on General Santa Ana's orders. Um, that's not known for sure. And I read that um, that version of events may have been invented at the time to try to further discredit General Santa Anna. As ever, Timeless does a great job of speculating on what might have happened. In this version of events, Bowie and Crockett are overwhelmed by the enemy forces pouring through the doors of the chapel. <laughs> So Rufus, Wyatt and Lucy return to present day and they discover that history now shows that Bowie and Crockett were killed, Lucy's letter did get out and Santa Anna was defeated not long after taking the Alamo. So history unfolded in a very similar way as before. So very much a win for the team. Uh, but Agent Christopher and Patrick Ramsey arrive and they note that Flynn is still out there and Ramsey informs Wyatt that he is relieved of duty and his replacement has arrived. But Lucy, however, stands up to Ramsey and informs him that she is not prepared to risk her life on these missions with someone else. She wants Wyatt to stay. 
And then Rufus also says that he's not prepared to carry on without Wyatt. So Christopher and Ramsay have no choice but to reinstate Wyatt. Uh, they, they cave in a little bit too easily to be completely convincing. Uh, but maybe that's the point, that they were ready to be convinced if Lucy and Rufus and Wyatt were willing to fight for each other. Agent Christopher gives them a little smile, and clearly she isn't too unhappy about the outcome. I haven't said a lot yet in these podcasts about Sakina Jaffrey, who plays Agent Denise Christopher, but I think she brings a real sense of authority and integrity to the role, and her importance to the story ramps up later, so I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say about her when I look at later episodes. Got a couple more scenes left in this episode. Lucy arrives home. Her mother is ready for another fight, but Lucy has clearly had enough of fighting. And in that moment of calm, her mother tells her what she wants to know. That her father was a professor who wanted to go into politics. When Lucy's mother told him she was pregnant, he wanted to do the right things but she barely knew him and didn't want to marry him. So she told him she didn't need him and they haven't spoken since. She gives Lucy a piece of paper with her father's name written on it. We assume we don't get to see that name yet. So that's kind of quite a big turnaround that Lucy's mother has given her the information she's been wanting. Uh, Wyatt then actually catches up with the guy who would have replaced him. Uh, the guy asks Wyatt when he's coming back to the base, um, that they're about to go out on another mission. But Wyatt says he'll be away for a while and he's got a new team now. And that's the end of the episode. Cue the end theme music. I think John Teleski gets great performances from all the actors in this episode. I think Matt Lanter must have been absolutely thrilled when he got this script. Uh, he gives a really good performance, as does everyone else, uh, including the actors playing Bowie and Crockett, who are Chris Browning and Jeff Cober. <laughs> That's all for this episode. I apologise if my voice has been a bit croaky. Um, I'll leave you to wonder whether I've been ill or I've been partying all night long. Next time I'll be looking at episode 6, The Watergate Tape, which I think moves the timeless story forward significantly into a new phase. Up until now, the show has been all about building mystery. And although Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy have been growing closer, they've also withheld things from each other. Rufus is under pressure from Rittenhouse, and he's not sure how much he can trust Connor Mason now. He hasn't shared any of this with Lucy and Wyatt. And then Lucy hasn't been completely forthcoming either about her conversations with Flynn and what he's told her about Rittenhouse. And consequently, Wyatt knows very little about any of this. 
but now that both Lucy and Rufus have gone out on a limb for Wyatt to keep him on the team, you've got to think that it's all getting a bit precarious and any minute now this is all going to start unravelling and all these secrets are going to start to come out. So, more on this next time. Until then, all the podcasts so far are available on the site at timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. As always, thanks for listening. Let me know if you like the podcast. Tell your friends to watch Timeless. Tell them to listen to Timeless Files. And I'll see you next time.